Well, good morning. Are you guys ready? Have you prepared all week? Because it's, it's go time. All right? Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. That was pretty good. Yeah, I think you guys did prepare this week. One more time. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. I want to thank you all for appeasing me this morning with that because I know for a lot of you it was a challenging week because you have heard those verses in different translations your entire lives, most of you, and you had to keep getting tripped up on the translation we were all memorizing together. So thank you for doing that. But we're going to keep moving along with this. So this week, if you look at the back of your bulletin, we want to pick up the next verse. And those of you who are looking forward to that know it's a short verse, which is good. But this week we're going to add verse 20 to that. And we're going to add, human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Boy, that is something I think I need to be reminded of. Every time I feel my blood pressure start to elevate a little bit and my my face get a little red, that human anger does not accomplish the righteousness God desires. So let's start from the top. And that way we'll get a jump on this week's memorization. But understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not accomplish, produce, see, I messed me up, does not, um, old versions, does not produce the righteousness God desires. One more time because I messed it up. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Thank you. Thank you for uh, helping me get through that. I'm still wanting to throw produce in there or accomplish in there at all at all the wrong times. Hey, last week we started looking at the book of James. And we started kind of an unusual spot. We started halfway down chapter 1 because we were looking at this idea that living under the authority of God is our only protection against fooling ourselves. There were two warnings last week, and I think we're going to see those warnings again this morning, that there's some warnings against the danger of fooling ourselves. And as we looked at that passage that we're we're memorizing together, we realized that any time we are just hearing the word and not applying it to our lives, we are really in danger of fooling ourselves. So that's why we wanted to spend this extended time looking at the book of James, as well as memorizing that passage of Scripture. So we'll just add a verse every week until we work our way through that passage. But again, we were reminded last week that living under the authority of God's Word is our only protection against fooling ourselves. This week, I want us to look at the first part of that chapter. So James chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, again, a little longer section But I think when it comes to areas that we are often fooling ourselves in, one or two of the places I feel like we typically fall into that trap is in the area of trials and temptations. It seems like when it comes to understanding trials and temptation, that's the place that we can often trip ourselves up and fool ourselves. So as we begin to walk through this together, we're going to look at how is it that you and I can keep from fooling ourselves in understanding 
trials and temptations. I, I uh, found a great book. It's hard to call it a great book when the title of it is Suffering. Um, and it's got this beautiful black cover to it. You know, I'm sure this wasn't just flying off the bookshelves when it first came out. But it's a book on suffering by Paul David Tripp. And if you're familiar with Paul David Tripp, um, he has gone through some really extensive, difficult physical things through his life. And he writes a lot about that in this particular book. But he talks about how often we kind of we, we misunderstand the suffering in our lives. We misunderstand trials and temptations. And he, he points out just a couple things that I want us to think about. One of them, he says, is poor theology. That for a lot of us, we have a bad theology. Maybe we have gone to Scripture before and we've treated it like a concordance and we've found a verse that makes us feel good and, and we rip that right out of its context and we say, there we go. This is why I should not be suffering because of this verse and he says sometimes that just leads to a poor theology. He gives the example early on of Romans 8.28 that all things work together for good of those who love the Lord. And he goes, well, what do you mean by good? And sometimes we have to go back and look. We do have to go back and look at that verse in its context and see what does good really mean. And in that passage, good is our redemption. Good is our salvation. Not necessarily am I having a good day or not. That. That makes a, that's a poor theology, a poor understanding of God. The other, one, other things that come out in this are also that oftentimes trial and temptations and suffering can reveal our doubts about God. Maybe there are things that we say that we give lip service to, that we trust God, we believe he's sovereign over our circumstances, but like many of us, when we go through suffering, it often reveals our true thoughts and desires. What really comes out of us when we get squeezed, as we like to say, that sometimes suffering works that way in our life. It, it reveals our doubts about God. And the other thing, and he lists quite a few of these. I'm not giving away the book, so you can still look at the book if you'd like to. But another thing he says is we often have unrealistic expectations of this life. And think about that for a second that we often have unrealistic expectations for how this life is supposed to go. He reminds us that you and I are living in a broken and fallen world. We're living in a world that's not perfect or fair right now, but it is working toward a day of redemption and restoration where God makes all things new. But right now, sometimes we can have these unrealistic expectations to say, hey, these things aren't supposed to happen to me. These things aren't supposed to be happening around. He's like, well... All creation is groaning. We live in a world that's imperfect, and I, I don't know if you know this or not, our imperfect world is full of imperfect people as well too. I know that's a surprise to all of us in this room, but sometimes it's just not the, the difficulty in the, our circumstances in our world, it's sometimes the unrealistic expectations we have for other people around us. We live in a broken world of broken people. And sometimes we have to understand that the people around us will hurt us, will disappoint us, will bring difficulty into our lives as well too. So I, again, I'd recommend the book to you uh, on suffering. Like I said, it's not typically a book that we, uh, we look to jump to when we're not suffering. But perhaps like a lot of things, we say um, it's better to be prepared in advance uh, again, one of my favorite quotes is this idea that we never rise to the occasion. We always drop to our level of preparation. It just seems like in my own life, the only time I'm looking for help with suffering is when I'm suffering. But perhaps the best thing that God could do for me is to prepare me for the suffering in advance. So I would go, oh yeah, 
I should have recognized. I should have had that robust theology. I should have, I should have had those opportunities of refining my heart about who God is. And I should have a better understanding of my expectations of a broken world and, and broken people. Because that's really what I want us to see in this passage we're going to look at. And a lot of you might be familiar with this passage, and this is your least favorite passage that often gets talked about in church. It's true. But without it, we're in danger of fooling ourselves about trial and temptations because this helps correct our perspective on trials and temptations. Even these just short 18 verses will help us get a better picture of trial and temptation. So look with me. In James chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. Now this James, this is James who is the half-brother of Jesus. And we know that throughout Jesus' life, James was not buying it. Uh, James was not, uh, not on the Jesus is the Messiah train. He was not. He didn't see it. Didn't think it was a great idea. Thought it was the wrong idea. And those of you who have brothers know the likelihood of you seeing your brother as the Messiah is probably slim. right? And that was the way it was for James as well too. He did not fully recognize who Jesus was until after the resurrection. But after the resurrection, James quickly became a believer and quickly became a leader in the early church. And that's the author of this letter that's being written here to these Jewish believers who are scattered all over uh, the region, but it is the, the half-brother of Jesus uh, writing to believers who are scattered all throughout the area, and he greets them. In verse 2, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled by... Is, 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 I'm sorry... A person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do, to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. 
So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word and we, out of all creation, become his prized possessions. As we think about a passage like this, it really does deal with our trials and and temptations. It's kind of how the passage outlines itself. It seems like verses 2 through 11 are dealing with the issue of trials and how do we understand our trials. And verses 12 through the end, the the passage is addressing the the picture of, of our temptations and how do we understand and address our temptations. But I often find what needs to be corrected on our perspective is, is who are the blessed? Who are the, who are the blessed? What, who, who are the people who are blessed? Because there's some things in here that, that, that turn upside down our picture of blessing. First and foremost, let me, let me just throw something out at you here that, that maybe you hadn't thought of before that we always kind of read right past. And that's this picture of slave. If you go back to verse 1, This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is such a powerful word for us. That word embodies so much history for us. That that word paints a picture for us that may not be a picture of what's happening here. Some of your translations use the word bondservant. A a bondservant is someone who willingly puts themselves in debt to, to one another. But If we know that James as a Jew is writing to Jewish believers who are scattered abroad, maybe the place to get a better understanding of what he means by slave is is certainly not my own 2022 picture of what a slave is, but it's thinking back to that context of how how would his original Jewish readers have thought about that. And it was interesting, even the passage that we opened up with from Isaiah 43 Later down in Isaiah 43.10, it actually references God is talking to his people and he calls them a servant or a slave and that they were chosen special for that. That in, in, in the Old Testament, a picture of a slave was not just that you were indebted to someone, but it was also a place of honor and privilege. And I think sometimes we read right past that word slave or bondservant and, and maybe we bring our own understanding to what that word means. But when we really think about what James is saying, that why, why would he begin this letter calling himself a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ if that word slave to him meant something of, of dishonor and drudgery? But perhaps, and this is a study note that I found within the New English translation, that perhaps in that study note, the better picture is one of honor and privilege. That when when he's identifying himself as a slave, he is saying he has the honor and privilege of serving God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even there, we wrestle with this idea of who is blessed and what does it mean to be blessed? And as we look at this passage, aside from just maybe misunderstanding that a slave in this context could see themselves as blessed, likewise, a lot of the things that you and I think may be true get turned on its head in a passage like this. A lot of the things that you and I think 
are not the way that they're supposed to be really get turned upside down in this picture of how God's word is, is correcting our perspective of blessings here. And he's really showing us that blessings to be blessed is one that is found in patient endurance. And I know those are two words we do not like to link together. We do not like the idea of patient endurance. But that really is what is maybe the, the hinge pin in this, this passage itself. And if you look with me at verse 12, verse 12, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. And then one of those uh, New Testament pictures of an athletic metaphor, afterward they will receive the crown of life that God has promised those who love Him. This, this picture of the crown, this, this winner's prize, this, this running endurance picture is really what we're, we're seeing played out here in that the blessed are those who have found patient endurance. Those that God blesses are those whose perspective have been changed to see what the endurance that God has called them to. Because when you and I think about blessings, we think of people who have no difficulties. We think if someone is blessed, it's because they have no physical struggles, they have no financial struggles, they have no relationship struggles. We assume those are the blessed ones. But even right off the bat, in this passage, James shows us that that's not the picture of blessing. It's actually the opposite of that. Like we said, the first couple verses in this passage deal with, with trials and, and how trials are an essential and natural part of our life in Christ. Maybe some of you are even thinking of a, of a comparison here with Romans 5, 3 and 5. The idea of we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials. And again, rejoicing? Really? What would have to happen for us to rejoice when we run into problems and trials? How is it that we, and even in this passage, can find complete joy? And again, the same language in Romans 5 here. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. And again, this is an important reminder that we always want to remember. Right? James is sometimes called the, the wisdom literature of the New Testament, very similar to, to Proverbs in the Old Testament. But we always want to remember, apart from the grace of God through Jesus Christ, wisdom just sounds like short, pithy sayings for living a better life. But for the believer, for those who are in Christ, who have his word and his spirit, these are ways that God is transforming us as a believer to be more and more like him. So always remember how essential it is that we first know the grace of God through Jesus Christ and experience the, the new life that comes through him and through him alone. Or you could read James as just a variety of short sayings on maybe how to live a better life when it's so much more than that. It's the wisdom of God given to us to live lives of hope and faithfulness, especially in a life full of trials and temptations. So trials are being uh, addressed uh, first and foremost in this. And again, one of the things that we like least is this call to steadfastness in verse 4, this 
call to endurance to be uh, fully developed, that we, we should be joyful about it, that we should be, we, we, we recognize that this is an opportunity for complete joy. Think, well, that's got to be more than just me having a good day and some temporary sense of happiness. That has to have some kind of a forward-looking hope to it beyond my present circumstances. That, that needs to have something even beyond that. And that's why I would say if we're, if we're going to understand how blessing is found in patient endurance, the first thing that we need to do as we understand that is to take the long view. We have to take the long view of our circumstances. We have to take the long view of especially our trials and our difficulties and to see that it's just not the moment that we're trying to find momentary joy or happiness in. It's the longing for and the look forwarding to the better hope that God has for us in Christ. It's not about our present circumstances because I will never find joy in my present circumstances. I will wander the earth and I will chase every bit of foolishness if I am constantly looking for present, momentary, temporary happiness. I will run out of time, money, and run through every broken relationship I have. But if my goal is the complete joy that comes from patient endurance. That changes the way I think about my situation because now I'm taking the long view of those things. And, and here's what I want you to know about the long view. There are no shortcuts to endurance. There aren't. There are no shortcuts to developing endurance. This, this call for us to develop patient endurance, that doesn't happen overnight. And you know that. That doesn't happen by reading a book, taking a pill, watching a movie, seeing a video. We don't develop patient endurance that way. Much the same way a, a marathoner or a runner doesn't develop endurance overnight. I could decide tomorrow morning that I'm going to run a marathon next Saturday. I could do that. They'll let me register for it. They will. They'll take my name, my address, and my check and let me register for that marathon. Now, i got to tell you, I don't think I have quite the endurance right now to go out and run a marathon. Maybe not even a 5K. Either way, either way, I know there are no shortcuts to developing that kind of endurance. That has to be built daily. That has to be built continually, weekly, monthly, annually. That sort of endurance just doesn't happen when I decide, okay, I'm going to be patiently enduring tomorrow. It grows and develops over time. It is the pursuit of what it means to live the Christian life. And here's what I think we get messed up on. And I think this is maybe what Paul Tripp and others are talking about in suffering. When we think about our poor theology or we think about doubts about God and unrealistic expectations is we forget that this is the picture of the Christian life. It is the long view. It is the long view of developing Daily dependence on God. And here's what you and I both know. We don't often develop endurance in times of peace and joy and laughter. Much like the runner, we develop endurance through long, straining, difficult 
times. I actually came, a quote, uh, came across a quote this week by Alistair Begg. And you'll have to hear this in his best Scottish voice. I won't, I won't be able to duplicate his Scottish voice. But he, but he says it like this. More spiritual progress will be made through failure, disappointment, hard times, and tears than will be discovered as a result of success, laughter, easy times, and trivialities. I wouldn't have used trivialities. That's how you know it was Alistair Begg. But more spiritual progress we made through failure, disappointment, and hard times and tears. Some of you know this to be true. Some of you in this room have already experienced the very things that James is talking about. And what God does as he ministers to us through those struggles and trials and difficulties are much like the words that Paul used in 2 Corinthians. We learn to depend on God more. And that becomes how we see what it means to develop patient endurance. It's not endurance in ourselves. It's not our own personal strength or patience. It's in who God is and in his strength and what he has done. It changes how we look at our circumstances when we start to take the long view. I'm not asking the question anymore, how can God let this happen? I'm now asking the question, how will God use this in my life and in the lives of others to help me develop the blessing of patient endurance? I got to tell you, between you and me, that's not my gut response most times. Most times when I start to experience some kind of a trial or difficulty or suffering, my gut response is, oh, thank you, God. Thank you for this wonderful opportunity to develop patient endurance usually not but I do pray that that as we think through passages like this and as we look to God's word to help teach us and instruct us we will get to the point where we will say God I don't understand I don't understand why this hurts so bad I don't understand why you've allowed this into my life I don't understand why you've allowed this into the lives of people I love I don't I don't see why you've allowed this into a broken world but God I but I want to develop complete endurance. I want to know the joy that comes from finding peace and rest in you alone and not in my circumstances. Help me to take the long view here and look forward to the day when whatever that disaster was in my own life is just a blip on the radar compared to the glory of who you are and what you have taught me through that. I need the long view. This passage points us to seeing our difficulties, whether they be trials or temptations, by taking the long view and asking that question, God, help me. Help me to learn from this. Help me to grow in this. Help me to, help me to be an example to other believers in how I might, might work through the struggle that you are working in my life as well too. I want to take the long view. But it's not just the long view, is it? We also need the Lord's view. We need to see things from his perspective. And when we experience those difficulties, look at, look at what he says in verse 5. Right after this, this picture of developing endurance, he says, if you need wisdom, if you're looking to understand, if, if you want to try to see things from God's perspective, ask him and he 
will give it to you. He will show you. He won't rebuke you for asking. But when you ask Him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. There's a a picture that goes on here in these verses about wavering and being like an unsettled uh, boat on the wave of the sea being, being tossed about. That we're, it's, the picture is one of a small boat in the open water. This instability and uncertainty. I don't know about you, but I, I was in a, a small ferry crossing Lake Erie one time uh, from Port Clinton to Putin Bay, Ohio. And uh, it was one of those that looked great until the storm came up. And then uh, it felt like a big enough boat until the waves started moving. And all of my confidence in my ability to be seaworthy and to not become motion sick all went right out the window. And I was immediately overwhelmed with instability and uncertainty. And I, and I think you and I do that too. When the water is still, it is easy for us to say, my hope is in the Lord. But when the waves start to come and the boat starts to rock, and we start feeling ourselves full of instability and uncertainty, that is the time when we look to the Lord in wisdom and we say, God, I want your wisdom. You are the generous God who provides it. You are the one who gives us your perspective. You're the one that helps us see the long view. It's only through you can we get your view. I mean, and then he starts to explain that view in verse 9 again. Often again, we wonder who are blessed. Aren't aren't the rich blessed? Aren't the healthy blessed? Aren't the people who never have trials and difficulties blessed? Well, no. Not in God's economy. In God's economy, those who are blessed are those who recognize their need for Him and for Him alone. And he compares it with the rich, those, those who put their strength and their confidence in their own wealth. And this is going to be a pattern that he's going to talk about even as we get into chapter 5. It's not that wealth is the problem, it's the wealthy attitudes that wealth is what we're counting on or trusting in. That's what the problem is that he's talking about here. It's not that we, we have wealth, it's our wealthy attitudes where that's where our confidence is. That makes us unstable in every way. We're double-minded is the word he uses. We're blown and tossed by the wind and in verses 9 and following he says hey look on the appearance it sure looks like the wealthy have no problems whatsoever well that's not the case used to say when we were uh, when my kids were younger they would see a very nice car and they would say gosh dad that guy's rich i said no that person gives the appearance of being rich Right? And, that's, and that's the thing, right? It looks like it on the outside, but probably inside they were mortgaged uh, or, or in debt up to their eyeballs in a lot of ways. And maybe the nice car, or the nice house, or the nice things gave the appearance of wealth, but they really weren't. I think that's the same thing for you and I as we live in this world. That it's not those who have the appearance of a life of blessing. Those blessings come when we develop the long view and the Lord's view. And he continues that throughout this entire section. And he especially deals in verse 12 and following with the issue of temptation. And this is big for us. This is important for us to understand that temptation comes from our own sinful desires. That's hard to say out loud, but we know it's true. We can't blame anyone or anything else for our temptations. They come from us. They come from our sinful. And there's a, there's a progression here that he provides uh, for the reader. Uh, and similar to, 
to, to as things grow and give birth and, and move and, and leading to death. There's a, a very vivid picture here in verse 15. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. We were in our Proverbs study this morning and even reminded of this passage in this idea that we want to get as far away from our sinful desires as possible. We don't want to go there. We don't want to consider it. We don't want to see how close to the edge we can get. We want to get away as far as possible because we know those desires lead to sinful actions, that sin grows and gives birth to death. That is the picture of our temptations. We want to get away and we want to run from them as much as we can. We want the Lord's view of our temptation. And, and, and lastly, though, I want you to think about this. In verse 16, here's our fooling ourselves again. Don't be misled. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in heaven. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us His true word and we out of all creation became His prized possession. I want you to see that in the context of this passage, this picture of God's good gifts includes a development of patient endurance. The good things that God gives us can very well be the things that are tripping you up. The things that you're struggling with. The things that are causing you to define in your mind, do I really have a proper understanding of who God is and His holiness? Do I really have... a? Am, am I like a boat tossed around on the waves? Or do I have confident assurance in in who God is. Have I, have I accepted some view of God where He's the magic genie where I rub the lamp and all my troubles go away? Because in this passage, it would seem that the good things that God gives are the things that help us develop patient endurance. That's not going to sell a lot of books. The good things that God brings into your life are the things that he will use to develop patient endurance. The things for you to experience his blessing may not be a life without any difficulty. I can almost guarantee it. May not be a life where you never struggle with brokenness in you or around you. If blessing is found in patient endurance, this passage totally changes our perspective. But we need this scripture as much as we said at the beginning of this series, living under the authority of God's word is the only protection we have against fooling ourselves. We must resist fooling ourselves about trials and temptations. And we have to see even as difficult as they are, You might not be able to see them as good things right now. But boy, I pray that God will give you the long view and His view. That you will one day see them for the good that they are. Again, just like our friend Alistair says, very rarely will we make spiritual progress through laughter and easy times. We grow more through failure and disappointment than at any other time in our lives. So my prayer for you 
is that if you are not experiencing trials and temptations right now, that you will prepare now for when you do. Because you will. might even be like, like by 12.30 today. But I pray that you will prepare well, that you will look every day to develop the sort of patient endurance that leads to God's blessing from a passage like this. Changes the way you look at difficulty. Changes the way you think about temptation. Changes how you look at the good things God brings into your life. Those good things, you've heard it before, are not to bring about your, your individual temporary happiness. Those good things are to bring about His perfect holiness in our lives. To develop the sort of endurance that makes us perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And it just might be through some of the most difficult things that you ever experience that you will truly come to know him fully. You know, this week, I would love for you to continue to commit to memory this part of James, again, 19 through 20, so that if I were to see you on the street or you were to see me, we could just start the verse and finish one another's sentences together. I'd like you to continue to do that. Uh, I would also ask that you would read ahead. Uh, next week, we're going to be in James 2, 1 to 13, and I promise you, I sound better when you've read ahead. Just the most amazing thing that happens, that when you spend the whole week thinking and praying through the text and saturating it in yourself, I sound better. It's true. It's true. So read ahead, look at James 2, 1 through 13, thinking about our theme of how do we keep from fooling ourselves. But I also would like you to consider, I'd like you to to take some time and think, what are some areas in your life, what what are some temptations? You don't have to tell me out loud, but what are some temptations? What are some trials that you are currently going through that you need to ask for God's wisdom to get the long view and the Lord's view. Consider that. What are those things that instead of asking why God or questioning His character, that we would say, help me God. Give me wisdom. Help me develop endurance. Help me see this situation from your perspective that I might know the joy of being in relationship with you. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how it teaches us and guides us. And God, how it instructs us, how easy it is for us to follow some some crazy misguided path thinking that as believers, we're never supposed to have difficulty and we're, we're never supposed to go through trials and, and that somehow a life of, of wealth and health is, is your plan for us. God, your plan for us is to recognize our need for you. Your, your plan for us is to come to the end of ourselves and recognize without your grace, without Jesus Christ, we are utterly hopeless. God, your plan for us was for us to see you for who you truly are and to see ourselves for who we truly are and to recognize how desperately we need you and you alone. Not our own strength, not our own wisdom, 
Not our own wealth, certainly, but how desperately we need you and you alone. God, I pray with those who are here this morning who are experiencing trials. Those who are experiencing suffering and difficulty. God, I pray that you would give them wisdom. I pray that you would work in their lives and help them to develop the patient. God, I, I, I pray that when, when they're going through a difficult, when we all go through difficulties, it doesn't become a wedge that drives us away from you. But God, it's the glue that we stick to you in. It's what draws us to stick to you even closer when everything around us is being tossed about. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the spirit to help us understand your word. And God, I pray even as we continue to grow as a church family together, you would help us to learn from one another about the blessings of patient endurance. Help us to develop your perspective on our lives, the lives of others, and what it is that you are doing in a fallen and broken world. God, help us this week to see all that we are and all that we have in light of your glory. In your heavenly name, amen.